Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Psychedelic Radio. I'm Christina Thomas, and I'm the president and founder of Myself Wellness. And with me is Charles Patty, Chief Education Officer of Myself Wellness. Each week, we'll be pushing boundaries, breaking taboos, and shedding light on the use of psychedelic medicines. We want to share. Sorry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Psychedelic Radio. My name is Christina Thomas, and I'm the president and founder of Myself Wellness. And with me is Charles Patty, Chief Education Officer. Each week, we'll be pushing boundaries, breaking taboos, and shedding light on the use of psychedelic medicines. We want to share expert knowledge and firsthand accounts of those who have experienced transformative psychic shifts using psychedelics. Journeying with us today is Brad Berg. Brad is owns Integration Communications, which was founded in 2020. Brad has earned his BA in Communications and Psychology from Stanford University in 2005 and his MA in Communications from University of California in 2009. Brad was the former Director of Communications for MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. He worked for MAPS for almost 11 years, where he engaged with daily journalists and media producers around the world to enhance public knowledge about psychedelic research, which produced the largest psychedelic conference in the history, Psychedelic Science in 2017, while also helping develop and evolve MAPS to an international brand and outreach strategy. Brad is also passionate about finding better ways for humans to work with the pharmaceutical and digital communication technologies of the 21st century. When he's not plugged in, you can find him in the mountains, carrying a backpack, and somewhere down a long trail. Beautiful. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today, Brad. How are you doing? I'm doing so great. I'm so happy to be here. So grateful for the work you two are doing, getting the word out about this field. Thank you Thank so much. You. Thank you for the work that you've done and, you know, all the studies with maps and, and really shining a light on them and and everything that you're doing for the industry as well as helping other psychedelic companies get their word out there. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for your service to humanity. <laughs> <laughs> it is such a joy. I tell you, there's um, nothing I would rather be promoting and educating about as uh, psychedelics. Yeah, I feel yeah. this. I feel the same way. You know, it's uh psychedelics saved my life. So it's it's pretty hard not to talk about it. I pretty much talk about it with anybody that'll listen. <laughs> so, oh, gosh, I would love to hear your story sometime. I know we're not here for you, but I would love to hear that. Um, yeah, everybody's sure. is different. Most definitely. So I guess the big question is, is what's what ignited that spark in you? Or what what made you passionate about getting into the psychedelic field? Wow. Um, yeah, thanks, Charles. So so much um feels like it came together um to bring me into this um i think like like with most people it started out as very very personal um i um i was raised um you know in this pharmaceutical culture that that we have um my entire adolescence i was on prescription mood stabilizers um for depression, manic depression, anxiety. Um, I no longer identify with any of those diagnoses. I'm not sure if I ever had any of those diagnoses, but that was what psychiatrists and therapists were using to understand um, just my experience of being angry and depressed and confused about what is wrong with me. And, um, you know, thinking about all these drugs that were prescribed, um, primarily lithium, Um, 
um, as a mood stabilizer, um, just, just how I took that in um, as, well, in order to be normal or functioning um, or um, happy, uh, I would need to take a drug for the rest of my life. There was something deeply um, biochemically imbalanced about my brain. So I came to kind of internalize that. Um, and I think that, that that happens a lot. Um, so one day I'm hanging out at my college campus um, at Stanford. Um, I had been reading a great deal about the history of the 1960s and the art and the activism and the excitement and the passion of, of that time. And um, over the course of reading Alan Watts and um, starting to listen to folk music, I was like, what? Yeah, there's this common denominator um, from the 1960s and 1970s and it's psychedelic drugs. What are these? So I'm writing a paper for my American history class about the counterculture and Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters. And um, my friend calls me on the phone. He says, hey, I got two for you. It's like two. Now, I, I tried psilocybin mushrooms a couple of times, um, you know, natural, organic. Um, I had been, you know, taught about, again, all of these prescription pharmaceuticals, and I was already kind of trying to distance myself from them. Um, with lots of um, sort of side effects, um, trying to maintain my mood and like not really taking my meds. And like, <laughs> so I was, I was skeptical and wanting to get away from synthetic drugs or um, pharmaceuticals that were made by the pharmaceutical industry. So I was like, oh, maybe psilocybin is a naturally occurring mushroom. It's been around for thousands or tens of thousands or millions of years. Monkeys used it. And, you know, it's just like, um, let me try this out. And so I tried very, very small doses and um, just kind of got some little sparkles around the street lights at night and thought that was cool. So my friend calls me and says, hey, hey, I've got two for you. And I was like, yeah, great. That's great. So thinking that's two, two little caps of mushrooms. And I was like, okay, <laughs> okay great. Um, and he shows up and he hands me two little squares of paper. <laughs> yeah. that's that's not mushrooms is it? Yeah. That's, that's that's not mushrooms but i've been reading about the counterculture and the lsd and what it was it's like well you know i've got it here in my hand i'm gonna go ahead and try it <clears throat> even though it's a synthetic yeah. semi-synthetic um so i took it i thought i was gonna leave my head i was gonna um have some sort of great deep inspiration and what i did is i i walked for eight hours around Lake Lagunitas um, at Stanford University um, and just enjoyed the nature, listened to the wind um, rustle through the grass. I, I nearly stepped on a rattlesnake. Um, I, I um, just looked up at the sun and had this moment of, there's nothing wrong with me. I can, I can see my brain, I can feel my brain, I can uh, see my experience. There's nothing broken, I'm not, I don't have any gaps. Yeah. there um so that was the insight that i took with me from that very first lsd experience um that was the most potent moment of that and i'm still kind of integrating that that moment what does that mean so the next day i go um, and i call my psychiatrist um, who by the way has never given me therapy um, has only been prescribing drugs for the last 10 12 years and i say i think we're done here um, and I don't go back. He said, are you sure? You can't just stop your medications. It's like, yeah, 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 I can. I can. <laughs> so I did. And I think I, like that sent me off on this path of these are 
extremely powerful substances. Um, I was lucky to be in a safe place and to know how to hike and take care of myself out in the wilderness and uh, uh, <clears throat> just kind of immediately felt like I had so much more potential out in front of me. So I think I started becoming healthier. I started drinking less. Again, I got off my prescription drugs. I lost a lot of weight. Um, they caused me to gain a lot of weight, which also influenced my depression and my anxiety and my ability to socially connect. Um, and just um, started exercising more, started running more, started going out in nature more. Um, so I don't think that taking this LSD this one time fixed my manic depression or anything like that. I would never claim anything like that. I don't think it works like that, but it certainly provided this shift in mindset that I then took with me. Um, so I just became fascinated um, by, by these medicines. So this this experience combined with my, um, you know, basically comfort with drugs, which had been taught to me by my parents and by our culture. Our culture loves drugs, loves drugs. Drugs are everywhere. I have my coffee, you know, I mean, just like <laughs> they're everywhere. Um, so I, I wasn't skeptical of drugs per se, but suddenly I was like, okay, maybe these substances can have some some kind of value for sure no you know i tell people I, I, I your story mirrors a lot of of my personal experience in life also and and you know i tell people psychedelic medicines gave me the ability to love myself enough to actually want to change my life mm. and it really and 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 dr ferber the the our psychiatrist and medical director he says that he feels that psychedelics unlock our own healing energy that's within you know, and, and I feel like we're programmed to fit in this proverbial box, you know, the, the, the magical box of society that everybody's supposed to fit in. And for me, psychedelic medicine showed me that the box didn't exist. So all of the diagnosis, like you were touching on that are placed on us or whatever, it's just, it's just, I don't, I like, yeah, well, then I don't feel like I, like, I don't identify with all of the diagnosis that I had over the years, because I think it's all just a symptom of what the real underlying issue that's going on is and what the psych, once the psychedelics take you to the root issue and the root cause of why we're going through these things to begin with, that's when you can really step outside of that box and realize like, Hey, like I'm okay. And like, and like, this is okay. And, and, you know, and then you just keep on moving forward and start making those healthy lifestyle changes and all of those other things that you were touching on. So I had, that yeah. is beautiful, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, now, at, at this time, I, I wasn't aware that there was a movement um, around psychedelics. I thought, oh, 60s, 70s, they disappeared, they became illegal, and now there's this kind of underground thing, and there isn't really anything going on. It wasn't until I got into graduate school, and I was trying to figure out something. This was at um, UC San Diego, working on my PhD um, in uh, communication and science and technology studies. Um, I was, um, I did not end up finishing that PhD, by the way. <laughs> Something I am grateful for. One of the best decisions. Yeah, I was I like, wait, made. I didn't read doctor in your bio. No, you did not. No, you did not. No, I just, I, I just took my master's and left. Um, in retrospect for me, this was a great decision. Um, but I was starting to put together my research thinking, okay, well, you know, who else has had this experience of, of these drugs going from these illicit, countercultural, dangerous, I'm never going to touch a synthetic psychedelic to this has been one of the most important experiences of my life. 
um, and how is it relevant to psychiatry? So I started doing my research and Googling and there's one, okay, at this time there were three nonprofits that were working um, to do research with psychedelic substances. Those were uh, the Hefter Research Institute, which was founded in the mid nineties. They were doing some psilocybin research. They have now spun off and um, their founders have become the USONA Institute, um, yep. also doing incredible, still doing incredible psilocybin research from a nonprofit perspective. Um, and then there was the Beckley Foundation um, still around. They have now um, become multiple different companies, a venture fund, a research company, uh, doing a lot of things. They're based in the UK. And then MAPS, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. MAPS had done the most. I'd never heard of MDMA before, nor would I ever at that time have touched an amphetamine class drug. Yeah. Um, just being afraid of it in, in general. So I did a little Googling. I found maps.org. Um, their website, by the way, was like one of the first few thousand websites, if not first few hundred websites. I think Rick Doblin back in the early 90s was like, let's get on board with this internet thing. <laughs> uh, so they were easy, easy to find as a result. Um, and I downloaded and read Rick Doblin's doctoral dissertation which was the regulation of the medical uses of psychedelics and marijuana. And what that is, is a strategic plan for making MDMA into a prescription medicine through the FDA drug approval process. It is a doctoral dissertation in public policy, but it is a strategic plan. So I read that and I thought, wow, this is going to work. Yeah. There is no way it's not going to work. So I go and try MDMA <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was not what I expected. Yeah, uh, I was at an event. It was a, a lightning in a bottle music festival in something like 2010 or 2000. Yeah, it would have been 2010. Um, the previous night I'd gotten separated from a bunch of friends. Um, I'd taken a bunch of mushrooms and also had a few beers. This was this is not something I would ever do anymore or recommend that anybody do. Um, but I was kind of like, not sure if I wanted to stay in graduate school and, um, you know, not sure, you know, what my role was, um, hadn't been to many festivals. So I was like, I'm just going to take all of these drugs and just, um, head out in the night, um, super lofted on these mushrooms and immediately lose all of my friends, um, get immediately separated and just kind of have this spinning out um, dissociated experience by a big sound stage um, for several hours. I find my way back to my tent, so just um, clawing through shadows and past police officers and up a big hill and just like hiding in my tent. So I wake up the next morning saying, forget it. This is this is ridiculous. This is like I'm supposed to be out here having fun. Why am I like... <laughs> So this guy comes walking through the tent again not something i would ever or through our campsite not something i would ever recommend <laughs> um but i was kind of feeling kind of desperate and kind of like lonely so i was like well i'll totally buy this little capsule he says it's molly i was like okay this is probably mdma i got lucky it was um and i thought okay you know what never mind this being alone and scared and hiding in the darkness thing I'm going to take 
ecstasy and I'm going to feel sexy and I'm going to feel alive and I'm going to feel connected and I'm going to love this music and I'm going to dance my butt off and it's just going to be so fun. So I take this, head out into the night with my friends. Again, immediately get separated <laughs> from all of them. Except this time, I'm not like, oh God. This time I'm like, what's that music over there? I'm going to go check it out. And I go up to the sound stage again that I'd been so lost and confused at the previous night. And I get up in front of the stage, I'm like right there, and I start dancing this kind of forced way and just <laughs> realizing I don't like this music at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. So I, I wander off and I find myself not that long later in this little hut that had been made into a tea house a tea house. So I, I'm thinking like, I'm on MDMA, I'm going to be having a party. And I'm attracted to this warm, glowing light inside this tea house. And there's people sitting around the tables and drinking tea and having these intimate conversations. And I sit there for hours. And I have what feel to me like the first real conversations I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Like I actually care what these people are talking about. I actually care about these people. I feel like they're listening to me. I feel totally connected. I sit in there for a few hours, have a bunch of tea, walk back to my tent and go to sleep and have a great night of sleep. That is not what I thought MDMA was going to be like. No, you know, I love like, it's funny because I was having a conversation with somebody recently and like, I was like, you know, people do get a therapeutic benefit from mdma even when they go to clubs and take it sometimes and they're they're like no there's no therapeutic value for that and i'm like i don't know like i've had some really like you were talking about like heart opening beautiful conversations with people where i just felt like a you know like and this is when in my day when i was doing this stuff or like you know like beautiful connection with people that like i had never experienced before you know like i went from like this like hardcore like rap scene where where people were just like not getting along at he the club yeah. whatsoever and there's usually fights all the time and stuff like that and then all of a sudden i started going to edm events and like i was just like I, it was just the most beautiful like bringing people together this like molten like just love and i was just like this is what i've been missing like th this is this and it, and it made me connect with people on a level wow. that i had like never connected before so once again i i can wow. yeah. completely can relate to what you're saying that totally resonates it's like going from the mosh pit to the tea house <laughs> yeah. yeah you know and, and <laughs> having an amazing night like and just like and then like going to sleep and like waking up and feeling good the next day and it's just like oh okay so like you know alcohol sucks <laughs> you know yeah and and like and and the thing is is like I had an experience where I had drank some beers. This was years ago, and and like I suffered from substance abuse issues. So psychedelics ended up saving my life and getting me sober. But the thing is, is that I drank some beers and then I ate six grams of mushrooms and then I went out into the universe, connected with everything, realized yeah. the oneness of it all, and that we were all extensions of the divine. And then actually that propelled me to quit drinking and taking the other drugs that I was taking because I was just like, oh, I'm basically like poisoning God every time I do this wow. or the consciousness, you know, and so like like i so i wouldn't suggest anybody take uh you know alcohol and mushrooms together too but it's funny because that night actually propelled me to change my life and stop drinking you know so uh, it's wow. funny how we can stumble onto these uh these you know it, it's like i didn't when i first started taking psychedelics 
and having these kind of experiences, I actually didn't go into it with that like mindset of like, oh, this is going to like heal certain parts of me that I didn't realize needed healing and, and propel me forward to actually change my life. But like I did have those kind of experiences outside of a facility, you know, so like I definitely think that in my eyes, there is a, a place for everything. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. Exactly. One day, yeah, you know, to, yeah. for sure, for sure. Now, so so here's a big question. So I was I would love yeah. to I would love to touch on what with, with your work with maps. If, if sure. That yeah, yeah, it's perfect timing because that's that's what pro what propelled me into that. Love it. I'm thinking, you know, gonna say like I I say this every time when we have a professional on this podcast is like I love the story behind what got them into this field because everybody has their own reason for being so passionate, but it's always about how psychedelic medicines have propelled them to be there. Nobody's here, like not really knowing what they're doing. They've all had some sort of experience that's aided them on this journey. And now they have to get their message out there and, and help yeah. others. Yeah. Well, you know, I, yeah, Christina, yeah, I think four or five years ago, I would have completely agreed with you that, the professionals who are in the field of psychedelics come in because they've had some amazing deep personal experience themselves and that's why they're passionate about it mm -hmm. unfortunately yeah i think we're in a new place i think i think well everybody I, we interview i don't know I, I can i agree with what you're saying because i do see like yeah. you have a, a set of people that are there for that and then also there's a huge group of people that just think this is going to be a really lucrative mm -hmm. industry yep <laughs> yeah, that's where we're at now. So rewinding a bunch of years, yeah. uh, you know, thinking, what is the big deal with MDMA? Finding out what is the big deal with MDMA on a personal level, and then feeling this, you know, noticing that there's a huge community or a growing community around psychedelics that have come together around MAPS and Beckley Foundation and Hefter and just the underground as well for many, many years, since the 80s, really since MDMA was criminalized and since before then, like the movement never stopped. Yeah. Um, finding out that there's this community. I was in grad school. I was writing this PhD dissertation about how it takes a community to change how we think about our technologies or many communities because mm -hmm. um, that's how knowledge gets created. So I'm sitting alone in my dorm writing about community. Mm -hmm. I couldn't continue. Irony. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. So I left and I, I was like, I'm going to go get a job in the cannabis space or something um, that's more connected to drug policy reform. Um, about a year later, um, I've got an internship with, with MAPS. Nice. Um, I'm doing some writing and editing for them. Um, they have a communications director who'd been with them, Randy Hankin, for a few years. Um, I started working with him and with Rick Doblin. Valerie Mojeko was the deputy director at the time. Um, MAPS had eight employees at this time. They were working out of a, a little house on um, Highway 1 on Mission Street in Santa Cruz. Um, converted house. Um, I moved to Santa Cruz for a couple of summers and started volunteering with them. Um, then I get a call saying, hey, we need a new director of, or we're losing our director of communications. Will you come in and help us with communications? So that, at that time, that meant coming on as the only member of the communications team at MAPS, helping get the word out about the phase two trials 
that um, at that time MAPS was engaged in. Um, yeah. MAPS was doing ibogaine research and MDMA research and some trying to do cannabis research and some ayahuasca research also. Um, so I was the only member of the communications team, um, came in as an associate and um, ended up bringing on more folks and moving up to director really quickly and um, building their entire communications um, team and department and plan. Um, when I left, um, almost 11 years later in um, June of 2020, there were a couple hundred employees across the Public Benefit Corporation and the nonprofit and the large communications team. And, um, just, just felt like I'd been really successful um, during that time in growing um, and helping MAPS, MAPS grow so much. It happened, they moved into phase three trials um, had just completed a $30 million fundraise, which was at that time um, their largest. And um, just kind of feeling like MAPS was no longer the only thing. Yeah. 10 years ago, if you wanted to get involved in psychedelics, again, there were just a couple of little opportunities. Um, that is legal psychedelics. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, get to like file your taxes and say, yes, I work in psychedelics. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, and there was June of 2020, COVID. Um, not sure what I was going to do at that at that stage. I actually wasn't sure if I was going to continue doing independent consulting for psychedelics or if I was going to start a um, an outdoor um, an outdoor retreat company. I actually founded both companies in the same week. I thought like, mm. why are there rules against you can't start two companies in the same day? Who would ever try to do that? And then I, I'm trying to do that. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. We actually yeah. opened up our facility a week before the lockdown. Wow. Yeah. And it was just literally like the synchronicity of the and had a three month old baby. was behind us. And, <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> that, that's the real project. Yeah, right? no, I quit my jobs. We took a leap of faith. And like, you know, it's because like this stuff saved my life. So I've, you know, I, I knew I needed to do this. This was the direction that we needed to go in. And she was hesitant yet very supportive. And then once we actually got the ball rolling and got everything going. It was just, you know, it was like one, any other business I think probably would have failed. But the fact is, is that people needed this more than ever at that time, yeah. you know, and here we are now and we've done thousands of ketamine treatments and helped hundreds and hundreds of people get off of all their pharmaceutical medications at our facility. So, I mean, like, yeah, no, but I, yeah, just any, anybody starting a company back around that time, it's like, you know, more power to you. And, 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 <laughs> You, and, and, and the, you're still standing and you're still standing which is a beautiful thing you know what i'm saying yeah yeah and like you're saying mental health i mean that's exploded uh oh, yeah yeah there's, there's like nothing nothing ever worked for me nothing ever worked for me ever but psychedelics did you know and like and I'm finding that so many people that we treat and so many of my personal friends and so many of the stories that i heal it's like you know like this people that have been suffering for so long with no avail. And then I think one of the biggest taboos that I'm out here trying to break the stigma of is, is that psychedelics need to be a last resort. <laughs> it's like, how about it should be like the first resort? Yeah. Let, let's, let's yeah. skip all of the years of, you know, trying to throw a dart at a dartboard with our eyes closed, you know, like, like this stuff works and why go on a string of other medications to see if they work before using something that we know that works. <laughs> yeah, well, the psychedelics as a last resort message, um, that is coming out of the war on drugs. 
um, the messaging in this movement has continued to change. Yeah. Yeah. It's no. a whole re-education campaign and education campaign yeah. too. I mean, especially on the ketamine side of things is there's so much mis I don't I don't know what will, will, there's so much knowledge out there that's not the truth. Yeah. yeah. Then and then a lot of people False aren't actually knowledge. doing psychedelic ketamine therapy. We specialize in psychedelic therapeutic doses at our awesome. facility. Yeah. Intermuscular shots of the medicine, which is an also another taboo thing where people are like, "Oh, I am isn't." And we're finding that intermuscular shots are really getting people into those true disassociated states where the psychedelic experiences are happening. So, I think just getting the edu getting the information out there, and 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 I think and that that's what your company is doing, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's what I want to do. Um, is 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 make sure that that message is is getting across. Um, I think the most important thing that I keep emphasizing with my clients, and they're for-profit clients and they're non-profit clients all over the map, um, treatment providers, trainers, technology companies, pharmaceutical companies, um, anybody working in this field. What I'm trying to get across now is that the message has changed over the last few years. And it used to be, let's just try to get a word in edgewise in the public conversation about maybe these substances aren't so bad, maybe they're good for some things, sometimes for some people, last resort, all of that. The message is definitely changed now. I think now the bigger risk is that people come away thinking that these are cure-alls or that they're miracles or that you don't need therapy or that they're good for everybody or that they're always going to work or that they don't have risks. And so now what I find myself repeating over and over isn't, hey, everybody, these might be good. Now it's like, hey, let's slow our roll a little bit. Pun semi-intended. <laughs> oh, for sure. Like the, We were I just talking to somebody else and we were saying like, you you can't just do the treatment and expect it to work. You have to actually commit and do the work. It's and... a it's a catalyst. Yeah, it's a tool. It gives you the opportunity to grab the reins of your life and then start applying new lifestyle changes like you know exercise, breath work, meditation, all of the things that are the real recipe for long term success with the medication. You know, it's like yeah. as cliche as it sounds. I tell people if nothing changes, nothing changes. You know, you'll have a huge insight from the medicine, but the real thing is is to take the insight and start applying that to your life. Yeah, yeah. And if you look at the mythology of the 1960s, is that you're going to take these substances and have some transformative experience. You're going to tune in, you're going to turn on, you're going to drop out, your hair's going to grow long, you're going to reject all societal values. Yeah. Um, I don't see that. That didn't happen to me. It yeah. doesn't seem like it happened to you. No, no. I, I, mean, I think sometimes yeah. people just take it too far. <laughs> no, listen, I, listen, I yeah. tell people that this isn't going to change the person you are at the core of your being. It's going to yeah. enhance all of the positive aspects of your life, and it's going to level you up from the ones that might have been holding you back. And when we're speaking with um, the folks who are historically the most hesitant, so conservative audiences and religious audiences, um, you really can't tell them that you're going to take this and have all of your political perspectives changed. <laughs> Nobody's going to do. No, no. no. <laughs> like, like I hate to say it like this, but it's the truth. It's like, like a decade ago when I had my first profound out of body psychedelic experience, I came back to my buddy and I'm like, everything I've ever believed was a lie. <laughs> it's like, like shell shock experiences, you know, it's it, like, it can happen. 
but yeah. that's a terrifying prospect. <laughs> and see, that, that's where integration is so important. Yeah. <laughs> Having somebody to integrate those proper or inter- integrate those experiences. Yeah. Properly. So instead, I try to, you know, instead the message is more you can become more yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with um, an amazing nonprofit called Veterans Exploring Treatment Solutions, Vets. Um, and that's that's a message that gets across loud and clear to especially special forces veterans, Navy SEALs, um, you know, often with the PTSD and TBI that they're experiencing, um, they end up very separated from their families. And that's really often the number one thing that leads them into finding alternative treatments is feeling separated from their families. Um, their marriage is on the rocks. They feel like they can't be there for their kids. And they often go through these 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 therapies through vets, which provides grants and support, integration, preparation, counseling, coaching, group and individual for 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 these folks and their um, and their partners. Um, they come out and they say, "I'm just more here than I was before. I'm more present. You know, I still vote the way I voted. I still feel the same way about the service." that I gave and I feel good about it. And um, just a deeper sense of connection and and intimacy. I love is, it. Is Christina awesome. and I are actually um, launching our nonprofit called the Warriors of Consciousness, where we're raising money to support people through psychedelic ketamine therapy. And then when MDMA goes through, we'll do that as well. It's just, we're trying to keep it at two FDA approved medications so we can get, you know, politicians and law enforcement involved and stuff like that. But I would love to have another conversation with you outside of this podcast and see if there's any opportunity to collaborate together. That sounds wonderful. There's so much need. Yeah, so for much. sure. I, I feel like that time, the half an hour just flew by. Yeah, no, this, this was <laughs> wow. We have so much more to talk about. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll definitely have to have, we'll you, have, back to have you back on for sure, man. Yeah, uh, listen, that. once again, thank you so much for your, uh, you know, your service to humanity. And we appreciate all of the amazing work that you're doing out there. Oh, thank you both. It's been a really great conversation. Thank you. Look forward to more. Yeah. And thank you, everyone, for joining with us today on this edition of Psychedelic Radio. You can download past episodes of our program by going to CannabisRadio.com or by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And if nobody's told you that they love you lately, we we do. do. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.